This week on episode 520 of Priority One, the week belonged to Gene Roddenberry in celebration of his 100th birthday. The Star Trek Online community gets stirred up by some recent changes, and we look on screen to season two, episode three of Lower Decks. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 520 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, August 24th and available for download or streaming on Friday, August 27th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Roscoe. Did you all have a good week? Yes. Good. Had a fabulous week. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what, Captains? Before we move on with the rest of the show, I do want to announce that on August 28th, Priority One is hosting a roundtable discussion with Star Trek content creators on the topic of community, right? This has been a very challenging year, challenging two years now. And the point of the conversation is to spotlight what these content creators have done to continue to engage with their audience, how their audience has, have been able to support them through difficult times and vice versa. So so we're really looking forward to this roundtable summit discussion virtual event. It's happening on August 28th at 3 p.m. Eastern on Roddenberry's YouTube channel. Links, of course, will be in our show notes. We also want to welcome new listeners to the show, and we hope you'll stay in touch. You see, this show is produced by a community of volunteers who donate their time and talents because, like you, they're passionate about what Star Trek is all about. So, we hope you'll get involved and be a part of our community. Follow us on social media so you can share your thoughts about the weekly headlines. Join the Armada so that you can experience Star Trek gaming with like-minded Trekkies, or consider joining the team and lending your time and talents to producing this show. If you happen to find value in the podcast, we encourage you to consider supporting us financially by joining our Patreon family. Visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one to find out all the cool perks we offer for monthly contributions. Now, let's find out what's been happening in the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's Trek it out. This week, the Star Trek community celebrated what would have been Gene Roddenberry's 100th birthday. If you've been following the Roddenberry social channels, you will have seen daily quotes from celebrities, writers, influencers, and more, each reading a different quote from Gene Roddenberry. We also reported on the development of a full digital archive of his works. Now this week, it's been announced that a biopic is in the works with Adam Mazur penning the script. Also at the helm of the film's development are Rod Roddenberry and Trevor Roth, who also act as executive producers on all the new Trek series. While we're on the topic of celebrating Gene Centennial, be sure to catch Rod Roddenberry on an interview with Fox 11 Los Angeles. During the interview, Rod explains the point of the Think Trek initiative that has been going throughout the summer along with some personal anecdotes about his father. And if that wasn't enough, even NASA got in on the celebration by hosting a conversation with scientists, engineers, and special guest George Takei, moderated by Rod Roddenberry. They even sent one of Gene's quotes into space by beaming the recording out towards the final frontier of the Earth their deep space network. The panel is a little over 40 minutes long and spotlights the importance of infinite diversity and infinite combinations for the betterment of humankind. Yeah, there has been a lot going on over the past hundred days to celebrate Gene Centennial. As we talked about it already, if you follow the Roddenberry social media channels, for the last hundred days, someone has read a quote from 
from Gene Roddenberry. Most recently, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, you had LeVar Burton, of course, and several other actors and celebrities and influencers, which was really nice. I mean, these were short little clips that they recorded on their own and then submitted them. Uh, and it was really interesting to see how many people were A, willing to do it and so engaged in celebrating his life, Gene Roddenberry's life. You know, then on top of that, you know, having NASA send out one of Gene's quotes out into the deep space like that. I mean, it just goes to show how much of an impact Star Trek has had on our collective just ethos, right? Just our, our way of living, you know, from inspiring people to go into medicine and science to us podcasting, little little old us podcasting, you know, it's just amazing. Yeah, for sure. Did you guys watch that Woman in Motion uh, documentary with Nichelle Nichols? No, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, okay. Well, you guys should definitely check it out. It's really inspiring, speaking of NASA and being inspired. I'll have to go through and watch the interview with Rod on Fox 11 Los Angeles because I've, I've gone through it and just written a little teaser of what I think it would they would say in the promo leading up to the actual interview. And it'd be, Son of Star Creator wants you to think track every day. More at 11. <laughs> no, it was actually a really good interview. It was actually, you know, pretty straightforward. Um, the guy, turns out, the newscaster, turns out, was on an episode of Deep Space Nine, he said. So that was an interesting little piece of tidbit. So, yeah. If there's one thing we all enjoy around here, it's drinks. So when Star Trek Wines announced the addition of Andorian and Cardassian wines to its now six-bottle lineup, we could not be more excited to try them, unless the Cardassian one tastes like hot fish juice. Even if you're just a collector of really cool bottles, the Andorian Chardonnay is a lovely shade of blue and comes in a bottom-heavy clear bottle that is also festooned with a United Federation of Planets metal medallion, while the Cardassian bottle has a little bit more... Pizzazz. Star Trek Wines stated, quote, The team conducted a rigorous multi-year search for an original Cardassian Canar bottle, a unique serpent-shaped vessel originally utilised in the 1950s through the 1970s in Europe, end quote. They then rendered those bottles in 3D for accuracy, resulting in one of the, quote, most fascinating bottles in the galaxy, end quote. As for the wine itself, the Andorian Chardonnay, priced at $50, is listed as premium Chardonnay from Santa Lucia Highlands that's been, quote, aged 12 months prior to bottling and has, quote, delicious notes of citrus, peach, and apricots, end quote. Mm. While the Cardassian Canar red wine blend, priced at $60, is described as a mix of Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Petite Syrah, and Petite Verdot, which they say combines into a, quote, dark, rich wine with notes of ripe blackberries and juicy blueberries, velvety tannins, and a long, delightful finish, end quote. Both of these new wines are available for pre-sale at StarTrekWines.com and expect to ship sometime in November, or if you want to buy the whole six-bottle collection, what they call the Full Armada, it's currently available for $299. The consistency of the canar is a concern, because for it to look like a true canar, doesn't it have to be quite syrupy? A glugginess to it? It comes in a snake bottle. Who cares? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> Have any of you had the opportunity of trying any of their wines? And I haven't tried theirs, but when the Star Trek experience existed, I totally bought the blood wine and the Romulan ale, and those were really good. The blood wine was really good. I think it was a Merlot, though. I've mixed blue curacao and vodka and um, and called it a Romulan ale. and That doesn't count. That's died. That's not what this is. That's not what this is. On ice? It's fine on ice. Allie and I got two bottles of Chateau Picard. We opened one. I forget what the celebration was. We opened one. It might have been actually for a premiere, one of the premieres of, of uh, the new series of Trek. Um, and it's okay. You know, it's all right. It was, a, um, yeah, it was okay. You know, I've had, I've also had like their Kirk Bourbon. Um, that too was okay. A little overpriced for the flavor profiles, like for the quality of the wine, in my honest opinion. Looking in the chat, Dave Rutley says that the website confirmed they do not ship internationally. Boo. Oh, boo. 
that one enjoy that's that. That's so sad. Sorry. Yeah, I tried to send Roscoe some Texas whiskey, but you're not allowed to do that, apparently. What? Now, moving on to other merchandise. The team from Tops and Mego Toys, known for their scale figures, have teamed up in the most logical way as part of their ongoing collaboration with the release of the new Mr. Spock 8-inch action figure. Spock is outfitted in his screen-accurate Starfleet Command uniform and accessories as seen in the 1979 Star Trek The Motion Picture. The figure comes complete with phaser pistol, tricorder, and an emotionless logical facial expression. Vulcan nerve pinch not included. But if your display shelf is looking a little too Federation vanilla, then it's time to spice up the Breguet lung with some Grapok sauce. The legendary Dahar Master himself, Kor, son of Reinar, can now be added to your collection in 8-inch figure form. Also with a screen-accurate uniform and accessories. This core figure is as seen in the 1967 episode of Star Trek Errand of Mercy. Both figures are individually available for $19.99 US dollar. The core figure looks excellent. Yeah, that's like eight. That's pretty tall. I don't know. I mm-hmm. mean, if it's only 20 bucks, I don't know. I do love core. I would get core. Well, I don't know. I well, these are, these kind of look like old fashioned toys too, right? Like this is, this is part of the style as well. Not just that the clothing is maybe screen accurate, but like the doll itself reminds me of, you know, 1970s, 80s. 80s figurines. Yeah, G.I. Joe kind of thing, you know? Where you can pull the joints and it's a rubber, (laughs) a little tiny little rubber band holding the joints together, like that kind of thing. Oh, wow. That's cool. The Spock costume looks a little bit bulky and and bunched up, but the core costume on on the figure is looks excellent. It's quite well done. And it says on both the uh, pages, this is these are not toys. These are not toys. <laughs> these are action figures. These are not toys. So you can't play with them. Oh. Says so on the box. Sorry, everyone. Well, now here are a few headlines that we did not discuss, but we thought might interest you. Links, of course, will be in our show notes. Via her Twitter account on August 23rd, Michelle Paradise announces that season four of Discovery has wrapped. And George Takei will lend his vocals to a Star Wars project in Visions. He had previously voiced a Separatist general in the Clone Wars. Takei joins an already impressive English-speaking voice cast, which includes David Harbour from Black Widow and Stranger Things, Karen Fukuhara from The Boys, and Boba Fett himself, Tamura Morrison. Remember, Captains, to learn more about these headlines, be sure to review the show notes for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to check out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. Congratulations. High score. The Infinity Lockbox returns and contains an all-new Tier 6 starship, the Mars Pilot Escort. This ship features a 5-4 two-aft weapon layout, and since it is a pilot escort, it includes a commander tactical slash pilot specialist bridge officer seat and a lieutenant universal slash intel specialist bridge officer seat. It also comes equipped with a universal subspace cavitation matrix console, which creates a subspace shockwave in normal space that will damage foes out to five kilometers from the impact point. This console also provides a passive bonus to current and maximum engine subsystem power, as well as an increase to all weapon damage versus foes within five kilometers. This ship also introduces a new experimental weapon, the subspace pocket projector, which is capable of forming localized distortions in subspace that are then propelled toward a nearby foe, distorting hull and shields and slowing their ship's ability to maneuver in normal space. Finally, leveling your Mars pilot escort will unlock the improved lock trajectory space trait. While this trait is slotted, the recharge time of lock trajectory is reduced to zero, allowing the ability to be immediately re-engaged after it's turned off. Just pretty 
nice. Plus, you'll be able to gain a reduction to the recharge times on pilot abilities, cannon rapid fire, and cannon scatter volley whenever you deal energy weapon damage to a foe that is within your forward 90 degree firing arc. And that's only once per five seconds. So for those of you who may not be aware, lock trajectory locks your ship's current flight path and increases the turn rate, right? Um, yes. So you'll fly in just pretty much one direction, right? Yeah, and you can fire and kind of slide in. Oh, man. If you like flying little small pilot escort ships, you know, and you're in to go fast and, like, hit hard, lock trajectory is, like, something you should... Oh, kind of. If you could always have it slotted, I would. I love that. I love that ability. So, you know, of all the new 29th... What are we? 31st century? 31st century? 32nd. 32nd century ships. I think I like this... The look of this one the most. I feel as if, though, this ship is the natural progression of Federation ships. So I like the visual style of it. I do like the visual style. Yeah, I, I like, I mean, you know, it's still got that detached style, you know, super right. modern, you know, look to it. But, um, you know, I love escorts and I love pilot escorts. So I would, if I was going to save up for another ship, I would probably want this one. But I'm definitely not trying to win it in a box. Because we right. all know how that turns out. <laughs> now, even though it's in a box, it can still be sold on the exchange, right? Yeah, yeah. You can buy it. It'll be like 1.5 billion EC. Yeah, I'd rather... That's the going rates these days. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I would rather convert to EC in some way, shape, or form than... than yeah, I mean, you know... Play the gamble. Th- to say that, like, keys are very expensive still. You can sell keys for about... Uh, last I checked, it was about 9 million EC. So, you know, sell some keys, sell some of your stuff that you may have sitting around. You know, um, you can... Mortgage you can house. get to 1.5. Yeah, we'll do that too. Uh, I mean, it does take time to save up 1.5 billion EC, but it is doable. I did it not too long ago, and I just did it, you know, over time. Right. I like the design of this ship, the the sleekness of it. There's still yeah. something... I, I'm still getting used to the idea of the detached nacelles. When I look at them, I immediately go, oh, it doesn't quite jive for me, and that's probably because I haven't spent enough time pouring over new starships in, in the latest season of Discovery and 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 pausing and just looking looking in detail at everything and how how they how they form up and and reading technical manuals or anything like that. Though so it's still yeah still getting used to that. But I like the idea of the uh, the recharges, particularly with um, rapid fire and scan- scatter volley. That sounds excellent within five kilometers. Yeah, the couple of escorts that I have, they just get in and they they pack a punch with the rapid fire. So you get in, zoom out, lots of fun. This is this sounds like yeah, it'll add a lot of fun to some very fun flying. So as we're live streaming now, AJ Biega in the chat writes, uh, why so many lockbox ships? And, you know, I think that's a, a legitimate question that gets asked quite a lot. You know, it's it's that during these lulls, there seems to be a push for the sales of items, right? And I mean, that's going to be the reason, right? That's always going to be the reason is that they need to be able to keep the lights on and ships sell. In some cases, the quote unquote gambling functionality and the purchase of keys and whatnot may generate more revenue for them, but I agree. Now, you I can't agree necessarily that, you know, call it gambling. I know you did quote-unquote, but you can't necessarily call it that because uh, the bird on my shoulder that is Al Rivera would say, you win something every time. Uh, I don't really care about what Al Rivera says about it anymore, especially that in the United States particularly, and Kat, I, you know, I, I think you could probably comment to this more than I can, is that, you know, they are trying hard to, you know, lock down the usage of lockboxes in video games, right? Oh, that yeah. it, you know, so so whether or not is it's the the black and white definition of gambling, you know, I guess that could be up for debate, but it still triggers the same behavior that gambling does, which is why not just in the US but in the e, in the EU, they're also looking at, you know, restricting the use of lockboxes in a way that doesn't promote that, you know, uh addiction, quote unquote, you know, that addiction. No, it really is, is an addiction. That aside, I think one of the issues that we are also experiencing is that it's already been a couple of months 
months, right? Since we last had a mission, like a playable mm -hmm. mission. Been a couple of people, months. People start to get really antsy. Right. You know, oh, the game is dying. There's no new content. I mean, and they have all this stuff in the works, you know, and then like next week people will be fine. Right. It's because so I, they'll announce something and we'll be like, oh, okay. So I think that if there was a healthy balance between things that go on sale, things available for purchase, things available to be opened in a lockbox, if there was a healthier balance between that and playable mission content, I, f I would imagine that the core player base that have been playing this game for 10 years would be a little less resistant to ships and lockboxes, ships that are, you know, purchasable or whatnot. Yeah, because it used to be, or at least, I don't know, you guys may feel differently. It seemed like prior to this that the lockbox ships and like the super rare ships were tied to something that still happened in game, even if it was tangentially related. But now we're just getting ships just for the, just to get ships feels like because we don't see any of this related content no matter you know it was it could have been a thin connection but at least it was related or there was some reason for that ship to show up in game oh yeah that's a good point too is that a lot of these new ships that did come up had a story link to it to the mission yeah mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah that's a really good point mm -hmm. yeah so but you know now we just get ship after ship after but legendary ship but new skins you know pay you know so it's just it just feels like a lot without getting any other content to, to help Help tie it together. And we've had a lot of big packs in years previous, and I, I'm talking of quite a few years ago with big Gemitar Vanguard packs, with uh, temporal operative packs, where we get a whole new uh, armada Expansion. of starship. Um, I would love to purchase 32nd century ships in one of those giant packs. I'd, I'd be willing to to shell out for it because it, you know it, they're good fun. They're it's a it's a whole new expansion, and if that's the way one of your characters is going it helps with the the role-playing aspect if that's really important to you which it is for a lot of players so yeah i'd be more than happy to purchase like a giant 32nd century pack of starships outright from the sea store no problem what do you guys think yeah i mean i would mm. for sure if it you know wasn't insanely priced mm. <laughs> yeah, i don't know I, i'm definitely i'm more inclined to spend money in stow when i feel engaged in something right Mm -hmm. If I'm engaged in, you know, the, the, the next big story arc, right, that has content coming out, I am more inclined to, A, obviously spend time in the game, and B, buy the new hotness, right? But when the new hotness is just released in a box, kind of isolated amongst itself as just a, you know, a, as an attempt to generate revenue, I, I'm, I feel more, I feel disconnected. I feel disconnected from the game, right? And so I'm not as interested in getting these items because you know, there's no inspiration behind it, right? It's just, here's a ship. Here, here, buy something, right? I don't know that the blogs that, that you know, tied it with a story helped in any way. Um, for me personally, it, but it definitely helped when, you know, there was a story going along with it, right? Like, oh, look at this, the ship that we're, that we're fighting alongside in the mission. Now I want that ship. Okay, let me buy it. For my yeah, money, the exactly. blogs, for my money, the blogs help when there's no story in game. At least there is a story that a considered story to go along with it rather than having no story at all. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you want to tie it together. It helps, it helps your immersion. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, it really does. Mm. Like even the, uh, remember when the Amari um, ship came out and people are like, what well, is barely in one episode? But still, it was still in an episode and you still were like, oh, it's mysterious. But then, you know, you get the Amari and you're like, wow, this is the coolest bridge I've ever seen. Right. And so it has like some cool benefits to it that yeah anyway we don't see a lot of that anymore well while we're on the topic of cryptic studios pissing off the stands i say that sarcastically they've provided players with options for their stockpiles of dilithium a new permanent way to spend it has been added to the game in the post from jeremy bordicus cryptic randall star trek online's staff systems designer he explained starting on august 24th personal endeavor reroll tokens and admiralty assignment pass tokens are available for purchase costing 2,500 dilithium a piece. This change will appear on console platforms on September 8th. Previously, players could earn the tokens through the respective systems as random rewards. That method has now been disabled.
disabled. The hope is to balance the game's Zen exchange to a more sustainable level. All right, so I joked that they pissed off the stand, and I'm confused as to why people got so angry at this. Can somebody explain it to me? Because they took something away. They took something away. That was free. That that's why. All right, I can I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. You know, because I you know it's particularly with the Endeavor system, right? I don't log into the game to play the Endeavor system daily, right? Like I don't I don't I'm not invested in it as a way to satiate the desire of me logging into the game as would comparatively playing a mission, right? So I I've banked up a bunch of these reroll tokens for the Endeavor system. So yeah, I guess I'm a little mad that now those are going away. It, perhaps it would have been nice to have you know grandfathered in some of those tokens that I had earned. So I can I can well, get you still that. Still can use the ones you have. Do you keep the free ones that you've earned? Yeah. Or do those yeah, go away? Absolutely. No, they're not going to take away no. stuff you've earned. And what the f are people so pissed about? <laughs> exactly. The ability to earn them continuously for free, and now you have to buy them with dilithium. But also, you can't buy Zen, and we need a place to put our dilithium. I mean, I almost... I mean, this is just, like, one way to try and counteract that whole problem. I mean, I don't have an issue with it, but of course, I also have a fair amount stockpiled, too, so... Right. But 2,500 dilithium, come on, y'all. You could go get that at the mine in 10 minutes if you want to do a, com so do a couple of admiralty like the, yeah. missions and you'll probably get that well i i feel like maybe they have affected some of those too but maybe that's not the case or maybe they just took away the ability to earn the, these things for free but anyway of course people flipped out because you can't get it for free and now you gotta pay dilithium and oh how dare you uh try and fix the dilithium market terrible people over at cryptic yeah no i mean they're trying to do something about about it and yeah everyone flips out until they start to think about it and they're like oh okay maybe this will help now i i want to be clear because i've been kind of cavalier about this whole thing right it's okay to be upset it's 100 percent okay to be upset if it affects you oh. and it upsets you then that's okay uh but who i'm really targeting are people who are just flat out belligerent i mean apparently borticus has gotten a lot of personal attacks over this change right and people are really brave behind a keyboard really brave but oh, yeah in mm -hmm. fact mike fatum just posted that people went to other random things in his personal life and started posting stuff people do not do that that is not yeah cool. that is absolutely just wrong flat out wrong this, yeah this is their job i mean it's not who so, they are just don't do that <laughs> So it's okay. It's all right that it upsets you. It's all right if it impacts you and you think that it's unfair. But again, offer constructive criticism. I am 100% someone who criticizes Star Trek. There's no question about that. That I don't like Discovery. That I didn't like Picard. Right? It, it, there's just no question about that. But I'm not about to, you know, message Michelle Paradise and tweet at her and curse at her and yell at her and, you know, threaten her, God forbid. Or Never. turn up to her house or send her right. a letter to her yeah. home address. Oh, my God. D the audacity that some people have. I mean... So, uh, you know, my, my takeaway is, look, if you're upset about something, take a moment, think about it, think about what you could do, what you might be able to suggest uh, to to that could be done differently, and offer constructive criticism. But when you go after people, you're just a stand. Yeah, I mean, give a solution or, yeah. I did see one comment that was immediately dismissive of it, uh, the idea, and then said something like, there's so many other things that they could have done. And that was the comment. Like, great. What What are those? What are your suggestions? And why didn't you put them to Mike Fatum a little while ago when he actually asked for those suggestions? Did you put them to him? Because they put the call out and said, we would like your suggestions for longer term sustainable dilithium sinks to make the game exchange more sustainable. And so did you take the time to give that, that feedback then? Or are you just going to bitch about it on social media? Right. Mm -hmm. right. Well, while we're talking about social media, we did open it up to some of our listeners on our uh, Twitter page to ask for their opinions on uh, what they thought about the changes to the Endeavor system and uh, the Admiralty assignment pass tokens. So uh, here's what Matt Black had to say on Facebook. Matt Black said, I think this may be less of a sink than planned. I have a fair bit of pass and reroll tokens built up, so I 
have no incentive to buy for a while yet. I imagine many longtime players do too. This will hit newer players harder. Good point. Over on Twitter, we got a lot of great responses, like our friend Zeph Films, who said, quote, don't really care personally. I've barely scratched the Endeavor system and my grav wells swallow and blow things up like, well, I do pretty good. Let's leave it at that. Lol. End quote. And a lot of replies agree with Zeph that they don't much need Endeavor or Admiralty tokens. People like Jason Smith, Hippie John, Arturo, Captain BG2301, Zach Caldwell, and Michael Stancil. And several responses don't seem to think that this is the right dilithium sink. For instance, Duncan Idaho said, not much, but it's a minor economic adjustment and not a swing for the fences update. We haven't had many of these at all in recent years. That buffs dilithium consumption. And it's necessary to work through that development effort backlog to balance the marketplace, one step at a time. They're charging for something now that was free before through real gameplay. It contradicts their stated goal of the Endeavor system, which is to entice players to play the game. Horrible decision that won't make a difference in the Dill economy, only alienate players. I I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's going to alienate players, nor do I think it's a horrible decision. Um, I, I just don't, I'm not sure who this really affects, like who this impacts so negatively. If you're dedicated to the Endeavor system, don't you want to try to get through as much of it and have it already like i know it can sometimes be a pain in the butt like i i don't often have plasma cannons on me and i'm like god oh, darn it let me go to the exchange and buy some cheap plasma cannons just so i can get through this but perhaps you should set up a new character a new alt with a plasma cannon well, built my friend i'm like yeah i'm like i go to my plasma character because I, I have one but <laughs> yeah. um but I hear what you're saying is that, you know, if you're not invested in it, it wouldn't matter to you anyway. But for those that are invested into it, you've been running your endeavors. You've earned, you've got a bunch of tokens. So again, it's 2,500 dilithium. It is really, I just don't, I'm not, I'm, you know, with the, I'm not that big of a deal camp. And something I'd also mention too is, is Jake says they're charging for something now that was free before through real gameplay. And yes, uh, you get them as rewards. Uh, both of those tokens for playing the game, for playing the Endeavor system, you get in the Endeavor reroll tokens. Cool. Now you get access to them through Dilithium, which you can earn through real gameplay. So it's just that the method has changed. You can still engage with the game to earn this digital currency that is in-game, that can then be spent in-game, which you earn through real gameplay. So it's just a different method. You know, uh, Victoria in the chat brings up a good point that the phoenix boxes are half that amount so maybe maybe they need to adjust the cost of this right if a phoenix box is half of what these reroll tokens are then maybe the problem isn't so much that they're taking away something that was free and and oh no never mind it's half the cost never mind i'm wrong mm-hmm. never mind yeah. scratch all 2500 dilithium is more than half the cost of a phoenix box. yeah got it got it yeah that's 4500 yeah. or if you buy in packs of 10 but, packs of 10 they're available for what is yeah. it 40, oh, then, yeah, yeah they yeah. have said no but they have posted that they are, you know, they have realized that people are upset and they are, you know, discussing it internally. So the solution that I think has been proposed is that they just lower the drop rate for the free ones in the Admiralty, you know, system and the Endeavor system, lower the rate. You can still earn some free ones occasionally, but you can also go buy them, you know, for still. You, but they've removed the ability to earn it for free though, right? Currently, yes, it's, they've removed the ability, but they have, they're saying they're considering lowering the drop rate instead of removing it altogether. Yeah, I would lean more towards that. I think I'd appreciate that. I think that's a good compromise. I mean, you know, obviously they've heard everyone flipping out. But I wouldn't drop, I wouldn't lower the drop rate to something absurd, right? Like, you know, I I wouldn't wouldn't go below half of what it it is now. Right. So anyway, they're having those discussions right now. I don't think we've heard confirmation one way or the other, but, but yes, enough people have stated their displeasure with the decision that they're reconsidering. And the other thing with the Endeavor system as well, if you don't like the Endeavors that are there and would like to re-roll them, but you don't have any re-roll tokens and you're unwilling to purchase re-roll tokens, come back tomorrow because the Endeavors right. will be different. I know. They change. They change. Yeah, I'm like, Constantly. don't do so, them. I mean, if the Universal is go play Bug Hunt, you know, I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to wait till tomorrow because you should just not do that one. 
Come on, you love right. Bug Hunt. No, I do not. <laughs> well, Captains, moving on to other gaming news. Captains, you may want to check your email because Scopely is beginning to roll out the desktop beta of Star Trek Fleet Command. Now, I was fortunate enough to get one of these notifications and downloaded the application, installed it on my desktop. And in reality, it's just a desktop version of the mobile game. There is no difference that I could see between my mobile device and and what I was playing on the desktop. If you've already used a program like BlueStacks to play your mobile games on your desktop, then this is not going to this is not going to overly impress you. What has changed is that you can now create a Scopely ID, a Scopely account, which will then sync up your games throughout all your devices. So if you log in with your Scopely account on your mobile phone and then decide to continue playing on the desktop, as long as you log in with your Scopely ID and link those accounts, then your game play travels across devices. In my experience, I played it for a couple of, I played it for about an hour or so uh, the other day on my desktop. Again, no big changes that I noticed. The game automatically goes into full screen and I could not figure out, I couldn't, it took me a little while to figure out how to get out of the game without alt F4ing it. Uh, you can go into the settings and uh, configure it to be in windowed mode, at which point, once you're ready to go, just hit the X on the window and you'll, you'll be pulled out of the game. Overall, if you're a fan of uh, Star Trek Fleet Command, check your emails. You may have been invited to try out the desktop version of the game. That's the news from Trek Games this week. Now let's look on screen for the latest episodes of Lower Decks. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2, Episode 3, will always have Tom Paris on screen. Ensign Boimler goes on a quest through the Jeffries tube to finally meet his plate idol, Lieutenant Tom Paris. Tendi and Mariner go on a mission set by Dr. Tana to retrieve an object of personal significance. And all of a sudden, Shax is back on the Cerritos, and Rutherford can't understand why anyone else doesn't find that weird. Let's get these statistics out of the way. This episode was written by M. Willis. It was directed by Bob Suarez, and it aired on August 26, 2021. Now, Captains, before we get started, I realized last week that we didn't really give an introduction to the new voice that you heard last week. Now, you've already heard Dr. Michael Chan deliver his reviews and analysis of previous episodes of Star Trek and previous episodes of Priority One. But I want to take a moment to reintroduce Michael to you all. Dr. Michael Chan, thank you for joining us and joining the Priority One podcast team and offering your insights on these episodes. Let's give a little bit of a backstory about who you are and what you do. Well, thanks for that kind introduction. It's such a pleasure to be part of the Priority One team, and I appreciate all the great work that you all do. As you mentioned, I'm a professor, and uh, my background is uh, actually within um, within religious studies. And so as part of my PhD work at, at Emory University, I had an opportunity to study a wide range of topics related to art history, to the literature of the ancient Mediterranean world, and, and so forth. And so I bring a lot of that love for literature and the arts and, and culture to my love of Star Trek. And so I appreciate the chance to do that here on the show as well. Well, we are honored to have you really. I mean, it's just, it helps elevate the conversation, helps elevate our analysis and look at Star Trek and how we review it. So thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you. Now, without further ado, let's uh, jump into this episode. Uh, Michael, why don't we start with you? Why don't we talk about the scenes and sequences that, that got you most excited this episode? You bet. Well, in in terms of, of just rating it, I'd say that we're looking here at a, at a three out of five. At least that's what, what I would give it, especially in comparison to the, to the first two episodes episodes that we had to review. But what I really want to talk about are Orions. And this was an episode that featured Devon Attendee. And of course, she's been part of the show for a, r- a really long time. But what I started to notice, um, especially after reading an article from Daniel Schrader on Slate, is how very different Orions are being depicted and have been depicted over the long kind of range of Star Trek. And that article I'm referring to is called How Star Trek Redeemed a Race of Sexy Alien Slaves. What I really appreciate about 
Devon Attendi is just the way that she really disrupts the uh, that kind of stereotypical Orion person. And this disruption started taking place on, in Enterprise and then especially right in Discovery where you have Osira. And there has been this just kind of nuancing of Orions that we see here in this episode with Tendi, but it's been part of this larger trajectory. From my perspective, it's kind of analogous to what they did with Ferengi in the in the person of Quark, right? Where they, by having a full-time Ferengi, they actually add texture and nuance to the entire race of, of Ferengi. And so that was what sort of stuck, stuck out to me the most. And I think I really appreciated that part of the episode. I love it. Tendi's like, I'm not that kind of Orion. <laughs> I know, exactly. This is so good. <laughs> there were so many funny Orion moments in the whole episode. The mistress of the winter constellations. <laughs> right. I know. I have that in my notes. I'm like, that's my new title for Mirror Month. I don't even care. <laughs> where? So you've already talked a little bit about you know some of the history. Were there any other thematic takeaways or references that you picked up on uh, throughout the episode? You know, it's hard not to love a Tom Paris reference, right? He was absolutely one of my favorite characters in Voy. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought I loved what they did with that. By the way, the the Voy reference because it's I, I think it's kind of subtly jabbing at disco, right? And the way that the the, the they sort of shortened the title there, and, and it just sounds so absurd with Voyager that it cannot not be a joke against disco. <laughs> you know what I particularly loved was uh, the little side comment that Mariner says to Boimler. There's like only a couple of people in the quadrant who can say they got beat up by Tom Paris. <laughs> that was a great yeah, comment. She did slide that in there. So uh, out of one to five, what would you rate the episode? I would give it a three, uh, definitely. I, I loved in the title too, like the reference back to We'll Always Have Paris, which is like TNG episode 23. It's like a kind of Casablanca riff. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was as great as the first two episodes of the season. Kat, how about you? What what scenes got you most excited? I really loved the Mariner Tendi epic mission. I think that was my favorite part. Tendi was right that she and Mariner had never had their own mission and I know I remember complaining last season hey everybody needs to pair up differently and do this so I'm really glad they did it and not only that but like the fact that they just like Tendi loves Klingon acid punk I mean yes that was great I love it. She's like, <laughs> Mariner was dating bad binars. I mean, oh my, yes. <laughs> I was dying laughing. And yeah, of course, Min- Mistress of the Winter Constellations, classic. And then they totally shark the Nausicans with whatever space pool they're playing. I mean, just to like save Ta'ana's heirloom. Oh, I just was... I was dying the whole time. Wait, spa- you mean Domjot? Human. Play Domjot. Play Domjot. Human. I thought there was some type of space pool. <laughs> the fact they totally try and shark those Nausicans. Amazing. <laughs> And then, you know, and then Mariner just like slides the shuttle right on to the Cerritos at the end to protect Tendi. It was amazing. I did like how the shuttle just boink right off of the shields. Yeah, I know. Off the shields. Because you're expecting like ramming speed. Mariner. Oh, man. I really enjoyed them. I mean, I... Boimler was entertaining, but come on, that was amazing. Yeah, so we included a question last week, just trying to invite criticism. You know, I think we said, like, what would you do differently? And that just is too difficult a question to answer. But maybe we just say, what critiques do you all have of the episode? No, I mean, I don't. I mean, Rutherford with Shaxx, I mean, although Shaxx, I mean, we didn't even talk about that. I'll leave that for the next part. But, you know, it's an adventure every week. I, I, I didn't have any criticisms for this episode, and I gave it a 3.5. So I enjoyed this episode for the most part. I have to admit, I liked the pairing of Tendi and Mariner, right? That was very long overdue. But there was something about the plot that it just didn't, it, it didn't fe- it didn't seem to flow as well as even the whole Rutherford Shacks thing. It was lacking something. And I don't know if it was because of the mission, like what they were doing. Together, the chemistry was great. What we learned about the two of them was great, right? That, that relationship that they both thought they had but didn't was explored really well but I don't know it was just like the the something about it I can't and I can't quite put my finger on it didn't have as much gravitas as even the whole Shaq's Rutherford story I feel like maybe that pairing deserved not a more serious 
plot or a more serious mission, but I don't know. I, I... It did not hit me in the same way that other episodes had. And this is my thought. There were basically three narrative threads at work. You had the shocks, the Rutherford, and then you had um, Mariner and Tendi, and then you had uh, Boimler in the plate. <laughs> and, and it was like the, uh, there was no connective tissue that really held those three stories yeah. together, even though they were all quite humorous in their own right. They just felt like three independent threads without any connection. Right. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe that they were three different stories happening at the same time that it pulled away from the importance of Mariner and Tendi teaming up. Well, because usually, yeah, they work together on a mission to solve a problem. And this was just like, oh, Dr. Don asked me to go pick up some stuff. Usually there's just an A and B plot, right? But here we had an A, B and a C plot, right? So maybe that's what it was. Maybe it just got lost in, in too many things happening, right? Too many different things happening. But like I said, I did appreciate, you know, the discussions that they had about not only their their relationships, but the foursome, right? I don't know if you noticed, but when Mariner suggests that Tandy and Rutherford are dating, Tandy goes, What? Are you and Rutherford dating? Not really. I heard that. Right? So it's it was, uh, you know, like, oh, really? Not really, huh? I absolutely loved the Shaq storyline, that whole Rutherford Shaq's thing. And what I particularly loved about it were the little conversations that happened in the background that Rutherford was listening in on. Sometimes those throwaway lines are just throwaway lines. And, you know, like they'll use it to try to make a joke and make you laugh. And more often than not, they don't land. But I think of, for example, there's the scene in engineering. As Rutherford's walking away, he's talking about these flashbacks. like, And it's just like a very quick back and forth. But it worked really well for what they were setting up that Rutherford is on the outside looking in to whatever happened to Shax and he has no idea what's happening. So those little side comments and conversations that were happening, those throwaway lines were in fact really important. And of course, there were these other little things that I, you know, I enjoyed. I enjoyed when Tom Paris thinks that boy, there's a Kazon and punches him in the face. I mean, <laughs> that was, that was so funny and strange. Cause I'm like, why would a Kazon be right? How did he get his hair messed right, up like right. that? It's like, what the heck does happen? Are you wearing a whole different outfit, Boimler? What? But Shax's death in season one, I mean, was impactful, you know? Yeah. There's a little part of me that thinks, oh, man, he deserved a, like a epic return of some way, shape or form. But I get what they were doing, right? Like this was a very soap opera, Marvel comic book, you know, moment of, oh, he's back. And who cares why he's back? He's back, you know, sci-fi adventure included. Yeah. Overall, you know, I'd say I'd say my criticism was that I feel like the Tendi Mariner thing deserves more attention, a little more focus or a better mission, a, a, a more dire mission, perhaps, you know, that they really needed to, to dive into kind of like the first mission that Boimler goes on with Mariner, right? And they had the Ferengi thing, they're on the planet and she's trying to school him and teach him that there's more to Starfleet than the rules and whatnot. Maybe something like that. But beyond that, I'd say 3.5 out of 5 stars. Roscoe, how about you? You see, for me, Shax's return plays entirely into the idea of Star Trek Lower Decks is that these guys in the Lower Decks have no idea what's going on with your bridge crew. And so Shaq's just turning up again without notice to these four ensigns. They have no idea and they will get told nothing. That entirely plays into the theme of Star Trek Lower Decks. It fits with the, the crux of the show. I don't think it lessens the impact of that finale episode of season one. You're right. It did have gravitas. It was impactful. It was meaningful. It was a meaningful death. And I really I really felt something when he just shoves it out there and you hear baby bear and I'm like, oh God. Right, right, oh, I just right. need a minute. Oh, yeah. Um and you and you you get that because you're still impacted by that. That moment where Shax turns to Rutherford and says, What is it, baby bear? It took me right there again. So that little subtle moment reminded me again, took me back to the moment where he sacrificed everything. So I think that really plays very well in the, the whole theme of Lower Decks is that, yeah, the bridge crew just come back from the dead. It's just what happens. And we have no idea how it happens. And that's fine. You got to move on. You got to move on. Three words, really, the thing that got me most excited Thomas Eugene Paris. 
More fairies. <laughs> more voy, more voy all the time. Just hearing hearing that voice on screen was fantastic. Everyone keeps on asking about these Cali class engines and talking up how good they are. It was something Riker said in the season finale, that all about the engines on these Cali class. And then uh, Tom Paris has mentioned it as well. So I think at some point down the line, we're going to see, I don't know, will they wait, break the warp 10 barrier or go into some slipstream drive because the Cali class engines are just so good? Wait and see. I really enjoyed the hallucination scene where Rutherford sees all the different shaxes, lots of little nods yeah. to so many series, so many different uniforms <laughs> yeah, and costumes. Yeah. References to Enterprise, which I really enjoyed. Shax was in an Enterprise jumpsuit at one point. Was that the one where they go, what's with what's the with pulse? What's with hair? Yes. <laughs> what's with the pulse hair? I died. I was like, oh, did they just go there? They did. I did not hear that. I have to listen back to that scene. You have to go back and listen to it a little. <laughs> well, oh my god. Yes, I heard it. Because there's a lot. It. There's a lot going on and they stay quiet a yeah, bit. Yeah, there is. For sure, but they go, what was with the pulse? <laughs> Those little moments where it's just layer upon layer upon layer and it's so fast. The structure was good. I really enjoyed Mariner and Tendi and their adventures. I felt like it It was a nice little discovery and a nice little moment to realize, yeah, you two aren't regularly paired together on adventures. So we're breaking the mold. The, I think the awkwardness of it, and maybe this was something you noted on, Elio, you know, you feel like it didn't quite jive. Maybe that's why. Because we're, they're not always paired together. So they haven't had an opportunity to jive as characters and this gives them that opportunity so from there it, it builds from there Devana, what's that one of your other titles that's my, <laughs> my name, name. <laughs> yeah no it's just her name so did you have any criticism roscoe about the uh the episode i would have liked to have seen even a little bit more of the orion pirate base that's always the the thing with lower decks i find is that every time they go somewhere i just want to see a little bit more explore the locations a little bit more so that, like they turned up on quaylord 2 of all places and we've never been down to the planet on quaylord 2 we've been up in in orbit of quaylord 2 in unifications part one and two where uh, a ship was stolen from every time I, i'm left wanting and it's always i want to see more more tom paris more voy more more of that please well that wraps up this week's on screen for lower decks season two episode three will always have tom paris and that wraps up episode 520 of priority one a roddenberry star trek podcast but there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast or find us on twitter and instagram at priority one pod this episode of priority one is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com captains during these difficult times we are humbled by the continued support of our patrons who find value in the content we produce each and every week find out how you can support the show by visiting patreon.com forward slash priority one and there you also find what rewards we offer for your monthly contributions and don't forget to tune in to priority one productions guard frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, The Guard will take you inside the universe of your favourite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Daniel, Rand, Alex, and Lennon. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Alejandro, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage.
transfer complete. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode... You're? You're listening. <laughs> you're listening. Hello, Welcome. Captains. You're listening. Now I overdid it. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even mention the Matrix at all. What? I didn't even ma- mention the Matrix online. Oh, jeez. Oh, Drink. <laughs> this is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.